Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Seppi. I'm excited to welcome LeVar Woods onto the Hawk Off the Press podcast. LeVar is obviously the special teams coordinator at Iowa. LeVar, thanks for joining me. Hey, John, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's first, so obviously you're coming off another very successful year in a lot of different facets of special teams. But let's talk a little bit about the field goal unit. Over the last six years, 82% field goal percentage. You don't have many programs really across the country that can say that. What's been the key to having that level of success and that consistently that level of success? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said the word consistency. I think a lot of that has to do with what uh, with the players. They put in a lot of time working on their craft and uh, we're talking about the battery, they're talking about the snapper, the holder, the kicker. I mean, it's not as easy as people think it is. Everyone thinks they can make a kick. Um, and typically everyone thinks in a game when a kick is missed that it's the kicker's fault. More often than not, it's the operation uh, that happens with that. But, uh, you know, I think that's the thing that's been probably the the biggest key to our success is consistency. And that's just developing that relationship between uh, the snapper, the holder, the kicker. Also, our protection has been very good. Um and you know, I think our guys take pride in that. They know that um, our guys—I mean, the the linemen, the the tight ends, the defensive linemen—they they get in there and protect uh, for the kicker. I think, I think that 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 has a lot to do with it as well. And then, how much does that help when you're talking about the snapper, the holder, the kicker? You've got all three coming back next year to have that continuity into another year. Yeah, it d- definitely helps. I mean, I don't think any play. Uh, actually, I know no play from the line of scrimmage starts without a snap. And I think we've got a really good snapper. We actually have two good snappers in, uh, in Luke Elkin and Liam Reardon. And uh, Luke has gotten the bulk of that work and has done a really good job with it. And I think he keeps our kicker in rhythm, keeps the, the operation in rhythm, has done an excellent job since the moment he walked in here as a true freshman. Um, and, uh, you know, Tori has been our holder um, so far this past season, did a really good job for his first year. And then also in that mix is uh, Cooper DeGene, who's done really well with it uh, as well. Uh, just really haven't come to that uh, opportunity yet. And then Drew stepped in this past season as a true freshman and uh, really, you know, was very talented early on. We could all see that the consistency was lacking a little bit uh, early on. And then he just grew and matured as a, as a, as a person and has done really well with that, um, with that as well. And then at this past spring, you know, not to talk in the past, but in this past spring, uh, Aaron Blom really took a step forward as a kicker and um, and is really pushing Drew along with that as well. So that that definitely makes it fun and uh, competitive every day to come to work and um, for myself and for the players. And they get in there, they compete, they work hard uh, with each other, support each other. And, you know, they're all trying to beat each other, too. So that's definitely um, a fun environment. I think probably a lot of fans, their eyes might have opened a little bit or widened with the idea of Cooper DeGene at Holder, just considering how much of an athlete he is. Does he add something different then to the holding position than, no offense to Tori and his athleticism, but <laughs> something different than what you're getting with Tori? Hey, you said no offense. Tori's going to take that all offensive. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, no, you know, Cooper's a good athlete. And I think everyone knows that everyone's seen that. And he's a great football player. And uh, I think anytime the ball is, is in his hands, good things happen. So whether that's on defense, uh, whether that's at the holder position or as a, or as a returner, I mean, we've all seen really good things happen when he has the ball. 
Uh, that being said, it's not as easy as, as anyone thinks is, Hey, just jump in there and be the holder. I mean, there's, there's a lot of time, effort and trust that goes into that with those specialists. And so it just hasn't happened so far uh, with, with Cooper and, and that, um, that situation, but I know that he would be ready for it. I know he'd jump in and do a good job. And then withholding something, one of my favorite topics of special teams, but something that a lot of people overlook I've been hearing that Iowa is one of the best in the country in terms of holding. What goes into that? How much of that is repetition versus is there other strategy that goes into being a great holding school? Yeah. Who who who, who has told you that? Is that my mom or my grandma <laughs> was telling you these things? <laughs> Nobody in the Woods family. Yeah, no, so. one, no one in the family. Uh you know, I don't know where that ranking comes from, if that is even a ranking, but I know our guys take take pride in it and they take pride in their work and they, they work hard at it. So uh, I think what goes into it is just having, you know, a person that that is um, confident back there, a person that has good hands and quick hands and can find the spot, put it down and uh, keep the kicker in rhythm and keep the kicker confident. And, you know, it's I always uh, reference a snapper and a holder as, as setup men, right? They're just trying to set things up for the kicker to, to be successful. I think we've got two of the best right now with Tori and, and Luke uh, right now in, in that, in that uh, situation. So, um, you know, but other than that, I don't know how much more there, there isn't, <laughs> I don't, maybe there's a national award for the, for the holder of the year. I'm not sure. Actually, I think there is like the Hody, yeah. Hody or something. I, I've heard the players. Uh, talking about more in jest than anything but <laughs> well switching gears because we've probably exhausted the holder talk <laughs> here so when you're going through practices how do you structure special teams when you have so many different facets that all you need to have down by the time that you get to week one how do you structure that in terms of giving all of those facets kind of the proper time? And how do you evaluate when you don't necessarily have the traditional stats for offense and defense that apply to special teams? Yeah. So I would say typically everything starts with punt and punt return uh, in, in every game of football. Those are the, those are the two phases that get utilized the most uh, in, in any game at any level. Uh, so those are the two that we spend the most time on. Uh, you know, we structure those practices so that everyone gets work on everyone on the team, unless you're a punter or a, or a, an offensive lineman is involved in punt somehow, some way. Uh, so we, we work, work on it that way. Um, certainly work in the return game and the different facets of that in, in trying to hold the guys up at the line of scrimmage, um, trying to finish our blocks, give the returner confidence to field the ball, things like that. We also work on trying to block punts. Uh, so it's a little bit more nuanced uh, than, than maybe some other, some other position or other uh, phases, excuse me. And then also you've got the returner as well. So there's a lot that goes into that uh, in punt return. But again, those are the two phases that have the most uh, plays per game uh, across all levels of football. So most coaches will tell you they spend the most time on those, on those two. And then kickoff and kick return, you know, with the new touchback rule, not new, I guess the last five years or so, the touchback rule <clears throat> hasn't eliminated kickoffs or kick returns. Uh, not nearly as much as I think we all kind of thought it, it might. But what it's done is it's um, taken some returns, some returns away uh, strategically when you're trying to return, when you're not trying to return, uh, that kind of stuff. But um, so those get utilized a little bit, a little bit less. And, uh, you know, about 50 percent of all touchbacks at this level or excuse me, 50 percent of all kickoffs at this level are touchbacks. So even if you had 10 
10 reps in a game, there's only five that are actually live, live reps. Um, so that's kind of how things get structured. And throughout the week, we work on every, on every phase. Every phase has an install, has a walkthrough, an install, and then a full, um, and we come back on Wednesday and put it all together. Uh, so that's kind of how we structure all that. And again, every, every player is involved in our team, unless they're uh, typically quarterbacks or not, unless there's some special thing we have going on and then offensive linemen, their time to shine is in field goal. Uh, but otherwise everyone, everyone's involved. And then how do you kind of do the evaluation process of that? Yeah. So we, uh, it's a great question. Um, Again, you're looking at every player on the roster and trying to find a role that they can have as a job that they can do that'll help the football team, whether it is as a full-time core special teams player or whether it's a starter that that plays a phase or two or maybe three um, throughout the season. And what what we have found to be effective is identifying guys through competitive. Uh, we teach everyone right the skills, and then we put them in a competitive situation, competitive drills that we do. Uh, during a compete period is what we call it about a five minute five or six minute period every day they compete in those things and we'll see who can do it naturally and then all right so then we take those guys and try to um, you know try to accelerate their learning if we if we can uh, and just try to get them ready for the for the role that we're asking them to do I don't know if that helps clear it up or not but yeah definitely and then you when you have those guys who don't necessarily have the stats you lost some guys like Jack Campbell, like Seth Benson, who really did a lot. Are there any players who really, as you evaluated spring practices, who really shined, who could kind of take on some of those maybe unsung roles? Yeah, there's definitely, I think we have a lot of those guys, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that Jay Higgins was pretty much the heart and soul of overall the special teams last year. And he was just, uh, just some, a high contributor last year on defense. I would expect him to do the same thing this year, even though on, on defense, they may be looking at his role to increase. I, I don't see Jay as a guy that would want to back away from special teams. Um, even though his role on defense has increased, you look at guys like Kyler Fisher, uh, who's, who's done an excellent job uh, with that. Um, you know, there's a, there's a long list of guys that you can, that you can go down uh, with that, but uh, I'm I'm really excited about the guys we've got coming back and the guys that we, feel like can jump in there and, and get to work. And then kind of switching gears to you personally, this is now, if I'm doing my math right, can be your seventh year as special teams coordinator. Who have been some of the people who you've really learned from as kind of in this special teams role that you've really perfected? Yeah, I would not say I've perfected anything. <laughs> sure, we'll see that uh, loud and clear this season too, that I have not perfected anything. <laughs> Uh, but I can tell you people that I lean on, uh, starting off with a guy named Kevin Spencer, who was a longtime uh, special teams coordinator in the National Football League. Uh, he was with us early on um, and helped and really helped get get this thing off the ground here at Iowa. Um, really good guy, good coach, um, you know, really been helpful for me. And then also a guy that I lean on uh, quite a bit is a guy named Dave Tobe, who's the special teams coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's widely regarded as one of, if not the best in pro football. Um, definitely a, a great mentor for me. Um, gone to see him twice here this past this past spring already. Um, and I always laugh because he he actually cut me <laughs> as a player when uh back when I was in Chicago and camp with them and he found he found a guy that he liked a little bit better than me and 
that guy went on and went to a couple of Pro Bowls. So I think he picked the right he picked the right guy, but he's been very instrumental, very helpful uh, to me. Great resource. Do you give him a hard time about cutting uh, you? Of course, of course. In front <laughs> in front of the, his his uh players too. So <laughs> I'm sure he loves that. Yeah, no, he great guy, uh, really good at what he does, and you know, obviously, I think the Kansas City Chiefs, their organization speaks for speaks for itself and the championships and uh, that they've won and the level of football they've been playing. But you know, a lot of that goes credit goes to Dave Tobe, and in my opinion, and you know, was with him in Chicago for a brief time and followed his career, and and uh, he's been a great mentor for me. And then with the energy you coach with, where it's not good morning, it's great morning. The <laughs> Many other examples of that that have gotten around about you at 6 a.m. having a lot more energy than others. What do you get? What drives that energy for you? Yeah, you know, I think that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, um, no, a tale there, but some guys tell. But uh, <laughs> for me personally, you know, I love waking up every day and coming coming here. This is my alma mater. This is uh, you know place that I love, and I get to work for the greatest head coach in football and. Uh, at the greatest place in America to me. And so that, that part definitely gets me excited every day. And then when you, when you have an opportunity, you start working with some young guys and and you see them come along, like I'll go back and look at guys like uh, Sam Laporta, Riley Moss, you know, Jack Campbell, Benson, uh, Monty Potterbaum, those kind of guys that you've seen come along from freshman year to, to senior year. And they just bring great energy. And typically if you give them any energy, it comes back to you in full force. And so that's, that's, I think what helps all of us as coaches and helps drive us is, is the, the young men we get to work with. And, you know, there's going to be some more future guys that, that we'll see that we don't quite know about yet, uh, but we'll have our chance to, to see that here this fall. And then from a recruiting standpoint, Arizona has been a place that you've been a lot what makes that, uh, or why do you think that could be a potential recruiting pipeline for Iowa? Yeah, Arizona, I think we're really just kind of getting started uh, out there, to be honest with you, that I think that uh, that area, since you know I lived there back in 2001, uh, up until you know, lived there, to, moved here in 2008, and then kept the house there until 2014 or 15. And the football there has, has improved dramatically. Uh, there are a lot of really good football players, a lot of really good skill athletes uh, out there. And there are a lot of relationships too. And every school I've, I've ever gone into, I've run into someone I either know um, from Iowa or someone that, or there's a connection to Iowa, every, every school I've ever been to. And then, you know, I played out there. Uh, there's a lot of guys that, that um, retire there uh, after playing pro football and they've got kids. And typically if a kid's, if a guy was a pro football player, he has a son that gets into football and, and loves it. Typically, you know, the body, the frame, all that kind of stuff uh, turns into someone that you want to recruit. So there, there are a lot of connections and that's kind of where it came from. And, uh, you know, hopefully we get this thing going down there. How much does it help when you have the flight access out of Cedar Rapids to be able to get there and for recruits to be able to go back home, et cetera, kind of as accessibly as they can when you're talking about some of these longer distance states? Yeah, definitely, definitely helps uh, tremendously. You can fly direct on multiple airlines out of Cedar Rapids. That makes it really easy. You've got Moline, which is an hour. You've got uh, uh, Des Moines, which is an hour and a half. Uh, so it makes it much more easy from the longer distances. But 
you know, still is, you know, you've got to fly over a few schools, a few, a few states to get here. Uh, but once people get on campus, they tend to fall in love with this place. And, um, you know, that's all we're trying to do, get people here on campus and show them what we see in Iowa. And, and hopefully they see something similar and it's a place that, um, that they can fall in love with too. Does it help when you have USC and UCLA joining a conference where they'll get maybe a game or two out there? Yeah. You know, I haven't really gotten that far yet. A lot of, not many people have spoken about that, but I think that will be uh, something that comes up in recruiting over the next year or two that, uh, you know, maybe California gets thrown in there at some point as well. Uh, But that definitely will, that definitely will help getting some of those further, those schools from further West to come in the big 10. And then going from talking about a new recruiting ground to a very familiar recruiting ground, Northwest Iowa, obviously you came from there and to this day, a lot of good players, Cooper DeGene can start going down the list. What is it about Northwest Iowa? We're not really a huge population base there, but it seemed to turn out a lot of really talented football players for Iowa. Yeah, I think it's, um, personally, I think any, once you get in the, the Western Iowa, uh, that whole area, people kind of forget about it just because it's not as nearly as populated as, you know, central Iowa or Eastern Iowa. Uh, but if you watch and you pay, pay close attention in the high school playoffs, uh, a lot of those schools from that area are playing in the, in the dome and in the, in the semifinals or in the final game, there's some really good, really good football players in that area. There's some good athletes in that area. Um, again, typically what happens with when you come from a smaller or rural area, those schools or those kids are playing three, four, sometimes five sports for their school just to get just to uh, have enough have enough players on a team. So you don't get specialized in one position, one sport until you get into college. And a lot of times we've had we've had a great success with guys like that. And, you know, I think there's a there's a whole um, population of people out there that that have you know, that maybe don't have quite as much. Um, quite as much invested in one sport as they do multiple sports. And again, once we get them here and if we can find the right person, the, the guy that can, um, the guy that can buy in and, and, and do what we're trying to do here at Iowa, they typically take off and do well. So uh, just trying to extend that and keep that moving here at the university of Iowa. Is it difficult to kind of keep your eye on it when it doesn't get as much attention as say some of these other areas where like, Take Arizona, for example, where, okay, you have a little more media attention on some of these guys than maybe kind of in some of those more rural Iowa areas. You know, I think it would be difficult if, I, if you were an outsider coming in and trying to uh, trying to find the right guys, like someone coming from out of state or maybe not knowing uh, Western Iowa or how to navigate it uh, and who the people are. Uh, I think maybe it'd be difficult there, but I think it's, you know, for us, it's it's that's my home area. Right. So I'm always paying attention. Anyway, I've got a lot of friends and family back there that that'll feed me stuff all the time about, about people. And so it helps us definitely uh, keep track of guys, keep track of prospects. And then for you, what's it been like over all of these years, getting to do what you're doing at the place where, you know, however many decades ago, I won't do the exact <laughs> math. I don't want to make you feel too multiple old decades. <laughs> You know, we won't go there, but what's it like in terms of getting to coach with the head coach that you, one of the two head coaches that you played for at the place that you played at? 
Yeah, it, it's great. I mean, I, it's it's fun to come to work every day. It's a challenge every day. Um, there's definitely an, an emotional investment to the area and to the school, as you mentioned. Uh, but it's but it's a lot of fun. You know, like I mentioned at the beginning, I think I work for the greatest head coach in college football. I mean, the guy is tremendous. And I I tell prospects this, I tell parents this, I tell other coaches, you know, high school coaches in Texas, Arizona, they're always asking me, what's Iowa like? Um, all you got to do is look at Kirk Ferentz. And uh, Norm Parker told me this when I was a player, uh, that if you ever want to know how to be a man, just watch Kirk Ferentz. And it's all we've all been doing uh, for the last 25 years and following his lead. And the guy does a tremendous job. He cares about every person he comes in contact with. Um, and, you know, he's been, he's been great for me. He's been great for a lot of guys that have come through this program. Now, you're talking about coming to work here every day. That makes it very easy to work for someone like that. Um, it also makes it a lot more fun when you come to school, when you come to school, when you come to work and there are four or five guys that you played with that you, that have gone through the program. You're talking about Brian, myself, uh, coach Bell, coach Betts and coach Hodge, uh, just on the staff. And then you've got Jason, uh, excuse me, Manson, you've got, uh, Sam Brinks, you've got other people involved. I mean, it makes it a lot of fun, <laughs> you know, because one, we can tell old stories and we, we can relate and we remember things when we were, um, at that age, however many decades ago, you said that was, uh, <laughs> but it just makes it a lot of fun because you're you're not only working with coworkers, you're working with friends and teammates. That makes it a lot a lot more fun, and it makes it. I think I think it's a, a more special uh, bond that you can create with with players as well because that now you've been through what they've been through where you where you did it, and for the guy you did it with with Coach Ferrin. So that makes it a lot more fun. I'm assuming that fun is probably part of the reason why I'm sure opportunities come quite frequently for you elsewhere why you've stayed at Iowa as long as you've stayed here? Yeah, de def that that's part of it. And like, like I mentioned at the beginning, Coach Ferentz is, is the man. He's the best. So it makes it uh, very difficult to to look anywhere else or to even consider anywhere else. And, um, you know, this is, a, this is a great place. I tell kids this all the time. In my opinion, this is the best place. Uh, it may not be the best place for you, but if you can, if you can take a look and look at things objectively and not worry about all the, the glitz and the glamour and, all the smoke and mirrors. If you're looking, if you're very serious and you're looking really closely, you'll notice that this is the best place. Um, and with the best fan base, people that that really care, they're really invested and they know exactly what they're talking about. And when, you know, they, they care about what you do. They care about what you eat. They care about where they see you. Like th that's most places are not like that. <laughs> you know, our fans, I think are fanatics for a reason and um, they're very invested and that makes it fun to come to work every day and fun to be a part of this program. Do you see head coaching eventually in your future? Uh, someday, maybe. You know, right now I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I, I love it. Uh, like I said, every day, get to come to work with great young men and uh, and some old men. <laughs> We're finding <laughs> out now too, and so it's a lot of fun. And I'm enjoying. You consider yourself one of the young or the old men? Uh, I'm trying to figure that out right now, to be honest with you, because. <laughs> Some days I feel like super young and other days a lot of stuff hurts. And I'm like, man, wh where did this come from? <laughs> so I'm kind of, I think I'm in between right there. And then as head coaching, maybe eventually in the cards, anything that if that day comes, when that day comes that you think you're really going to pull from what you've learned from Kirk Ferentz. Yeah. I think, I think we, anybody that's ever come in contact with Kirk Ferentz, whether it's, 
young, old, male, female, coach, player, fan, if you're not pulling something from Kirk Ferentz, I mean, you're crazy. Uh, I tell our players all the time, you 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 are literally listening to um, a legend talk to you every day. Take notes, take notes, and I can go back if you want. If you wanted me to, I can pull them up from 25 years ago. A lot of them are the same notes, the same message. The guy's the most consistent human being I've ever been around, and uh, so you know that that I think lends to the success that he's had here and why people are so attracted to him. Why uh, you know former players love coming back here to see him. I'm impressed that you still have the notes from 25 years ago. It's, I'm not sure if that's impressive or uh, or compulsive a little bit. It's my my wife thinks I'm crazy because I've got all sorts of notes and books and things from years ago. Do you have time to look back at that, or I, I typically one time a summer I'll go back and I'll look and just refresh myself on on things and you know like what are the foundational building blocks of this program? What are the what are the fun? What were the fundamental basics that we did back then, and try to carry them along? I think Phil probably will do the same thing. Um, you know, we've all learned from the same people, and uh, had a chance to interact with a lot of other people as well. And you know, I played seven years in the NFL and had seven different head coaches. So you know, I've been around and heard a lot of people talk. And the things that work, uh, there's a reason they work, and the things that don't work, there's a reason they don't work. So you try to pull the things that did work. Um, you know, whether you're talking about schematically or whether you're talking about uh, in a relationship with a player or whether you're talking about um, how, how to structure practice. But we're all, we're all, we are all educated. Right? All of us coaches are educators by profession. We happen to teach the game of football and teach the game of life. And then what are the different ways that you can, that you can pro- develop yourself professionally trying to get yourself to know, uh, to learn as much as you can, um, while still maintaining who you are uh, fundamentally is what I think that's the key to what we're trying to do as coaches. And then as you look back at those things and kind of look ahead, is there anything that you are really trying to grow at as a coach this year? Um, you know, this year right now, one of the um, the focal points I think that trying to get across to our players as well is one and enjoying the moment, right? Cause I think we're all in a, not to get on a on a soapbox here, but I think we live in a time where a lot of information comes at you really fast and it's hard to process like what's real, what's not real, what what serves you, what doesn't serve you, what can help you in the future uh, and sorting through that. But but really trying to focus in on on those things that really do help you, really do serve you and um, and just trying to keep those things. The, the term I use is keep the main thing, the main thing. And not let all the stuff get into it and, and cloud it. Because if you really step back and you look at it, it's the perspective as a 45-year-old guy is much different than a 20-year-old guy. Um, you step back and I remind guys, this is the time of your life and you just don't know it yet. You're you're living it. And it's hard work and it's, you know, it's a lot of sweat, a lot of tears um, going through. But they're living the, the time of their life. They just don't even know it because their face is in it right now. Um they're going face first, like charging right through everything. But when they step back, they'll realize how much fun this really is. Do you kind of look back and realize like, oh, wow, this was a lot of fun. Like, are you able to kind of yeah, take of that step back? Of course. Like, I, I wish I could do the, I go out and I watch these guys train and run and lift. And man, at the time I was like, oh gosh, this hurts. That hurts. This, 
what do we have to do for running today? Oh, the lift's so heavy. And I, I would do anything to go back and do that right now. But at the time, you just, you know, it's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. And now just fighting just to be able to, to get yourself to run, you know, at, our, at my age, I guess. So. Well, it's a good segue into my last question here. So Patrick McCaffrey said on his podcast, that last year that you were not much of a basketball player and he violated you and he's punching all over you. Would you like to comment on that? You know, I love Patrick McCaffrey. Okay. I've known that I've known that young man a long time, like in the elementary school. Okay. I will say I did dunk on him. Okay. <laughs> now the rim was probably eight foot, but he did get dunked on. Okay. Now, and he may have returned the favor to me on a 10 foot hoop. <laughs> Uh, and I may have got rim stuffed by that by that rim, but but yeah, I'm not I'm not much of a basketball player, but I can tell you he won't score on me. Eight foot hoop, ten foot hoop. What's the difference? <laughs> what's the difference? <laughs> well, Lavar, thanks for joining me. Hey, John, thank you very much. I appreciate it and appreciate your time. Thank you, and thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. Until next week, we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.